0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. This morning we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning... Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a father or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. As far as scripture reading, then we turn to our text this morning at 1 John chapter 3. The verses 1 to 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, once in a while, people will say, why bother? Why all the fuss and the fanfare? Why take a little child like Israe, into a church building and have her baptized? And why insist as well that adults, when they come to faith, need to undergo exactly the same sacrament? Well, to some extent, the answer lies in what we've read in the Book of Praise. It lies especially in those two liturgical forms, the one for the baptism of infants and the other, which is quite similar, to the baptism of adults. But yet for a more basic reason or answer as to why we are doing this together in God's house, we turn to the Holy Scriptures themselves. For time and time again, as we're going to see, they stress the truth that underlies this sacrament and teaches us why it is so very, very important for all of us to see it And to be reminded about it. Yes, and perhaps in all those scripture places, the one place that really stands out is the one that we have before us this morning, which is taken from the first letter of John, the third chapter. And I preached to you on the scene very simply, children of God. And we're going to look, first of all, at the marvel, secondly, the mystery, and finally at the motive. Well, beloved, it's hard to capture in the English language the sense of amazement with which the Apostle John begins this third chapter of his first letter. The NIV tries by translating it as, How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And then do not miss the exclamation mark at the end of this sentence. The ESV tries to catch the sense of amazement by putting it like this. See what kind of love the Father has given us. And the old King James maybe in a way says it best. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What each rendering is trying to do is catch our attention. And it's saying to us, as it were, have you seen this? Have you had a really good look at this? And if not, you you need to drop everything and you need to come over here and, and you need to, you, you have to, you must see this and grasp this. But you ask, see what? Well, you need to see the love the Father has lavished on us. And when you see it, when you truly see it, you will end up shaking your head in amazement and asking yourself, where did this come from? From what country did it come? From what realm? From what place? So great is the wonder, the the surprise, the amazement. In some ways, you can even say it's like what we find in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. There, you may recall, the Lord Jesus and his disciples are going into a boat in order to cross the Sea of Galilee. But then as they're sailing across the lake, suddenly a furious storm descends upon the lake, and, and the waves begin to grow and to beat upon the boat. And the disciples are sure that the boat is going to capsize. And so they run to Jesus and they find him sleeping and they wake him up and they cry out, Lord, save us. And what does he do? He stands up in the face of the storm and he rebukes, it says, the winds and the waves. And then the unthinkable happens. It becomes completely calm and quiet. Upon seeing this, the eyes of the disciples become like saucers, and they exclaim, what kind of man is this? In other words, again, from what world, from what realm, from from what planet does he come? Who's ever seen the like? My beloved, so it is with this love in 1 John chapter 3. Who has ever seen the like? Who has ever seen this kind of love? How is it possible that God the Father takes a bunch of rebels, upstarts, losers, and misfits and calls them His children? How is it possible that God takes the likes of you and I and integrates us into His, His family? see, that's something that should stop us in our tracks. should overwhelm us and take our breath away. It should fill us with a great sense of wonder and of awe. But alas, not too much manages to do that to us anymore, right? When was the last time that a truth, an insight... A message, as it were, knocked your socks off. I suspect that something sad has happened to our sense of wonder. It's been dulled. It's given way to the proverbial yawn. But notice, that's not the case with the Apostle John. You you need to remember that when John is writing these letters at the end of the New Testament, he's an old man. He's been a believer about 50 or 60 years already. And that's a long time. And you know what happens over a long time? Sometimes you become kind of blasé. You start to yawn. Nothing surprises you anymore. But not John. For notice, from what he writes, that nothing has managed to dampen his sense of wonder and amazement. The love of the Father still makes him break out in superlatives and exclamations. It still has the power to catch his breath and cause his heart to race. Every time he reads about it, his heart begins to burn. But then what is there about this love of God the Father? That gives John, so to speak, heartburn. The first thing about this love is that it is a purely and truly sacrificial love. Indeed, it's thanks to a sacrifice that we become children of God. In the next chapter, John says in verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Notice here that expression, an atoning sacrifice, some translated as expiation, although really It should still be translated as propitiation. I know that's not a very popular, well-known word today. And we don't much like that. We don't like difficult language today. We often turn up our noses at difficult language. Although maybe you've noticed that in many ways we do tend to learn all kinds of difficult terms. Think, for example, of the world of computers. How many new and difficult words have you not learned over the last number of years and decade when it comes to computers? Words like megabyte and terabytes and CPUs and SDRAMs and Android and BitTorrent and encryption. So we learn a lot of difficult words on a daily basis. But sometimes when it comes to biblical words that are difficult, we resist. And in a way, that's not so So good. Also not when it comes to that word propitiation. Well, what's it about? Well, what John wants us to realize is that this love of God the Father, this indescribable love is based on sacrifice. And then on a special kind of sacrifice. Well, what's happened? What's happened is that by nature and origin, you and I are all children of wrath. We're all chips off the old sinful block called Adam. We inherited his fallen nature. We are all a bunch of rebels and malcontents. And that should have been the end of the story. But it was not. For God the Father decided in His infinite wisdom to turn children of wrath into children of His love. And to accomplish that, He sent His one and only Son into the world. And He turned Him into a sacrifice. A sacrifice that would pay for all of our sins. He made him the propitiation for our sins. He turned him into a sacrifice for you and I. You see, the son of his love became the object of his wrath in order that we, the sons and daughters of his wrath, might become the sons and daughters of his love. Christ Jesus stood in our place and forever changed our lives. And that's the first truth that makes the heart of John burn. But then it's not the only truth. There's also something else. The first wonder word here may be propitiation. The second wonder word in our text is the word adoption. And John expresses it like this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then notice he adds, and that is what we are. Period. What are we? We're children of God. Yet you can only be called a child of God If you've been adopted. And adoption describes a process by which someone who does not belong originally is made to belong. It's all about welcoming into your family someone who was not born into it. But who now becomes part and parcel of it. And such a person then receives a new name, a new status, a new home. A new life. And that's what God does with us who believe and with our children. We're all adopted into His family. None of us have natural rights here. I would remind you only Jesus Christ. He is the only natural son of God. The rest of us are all sons and daughters through adoption. So you see, what happened here this morning with Desiree is not so strange. She's been adopted by Neil and Heather. You can say in the same way, we've all been adopted by God thanks to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are no longer orphans. And we're children, children of God. So you see, the first wonder word may be propitiation, but the second wonder word in the gospel is that word adoption. But then to that word, you need to add one more word, and that's the word Again, a big word, regeneration. And what does it mean? Well, some of you may know it means to be born again or to be born anew or else to be born from above. That original word has various variants. It's all about rebirth. And you may know as well that this too is a word that John really likes. Already in the first chapter of his gospel, he writes about it. We've read that. 1 John, or John 1, verse 12, he says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then if you turn to John 3, two chapters over, you'll see that John elaborates on this to be born of God, When Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus about you must be born again. Yes, and then if you look a little further in these last letters that John writes, you find it back there as well. You find it, for example, at the end of the first letter, the second chapter. You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him, born of God. And so the result is, beloved, that John speaks not only about propitiation and adoption, but he also speaks constantly about the need for rebirth, for regeneration. And you might ask, why? Why does he do so? Well, it's not really that difficult. It's because God is not simply satisfied with having children who have a certain status. He also wants us to have the nature of his children. Take again the case of Desiree. She's now a Dykstra. That's her last name, her new last name. She also has a new legal status. But... I'm sure that Neil and Heather, as well as all of you parents here, hope for something else as well in the lives of your children. You hope that one day they come to share not just your name, but above all your faith. The great desire is that one day Desiree will come to love the Lord and to confess his name. And then she'll not only be an adopted daughter, but also a spiritual daughter. Well, beloved, it's the same with God the Father. He wants more than just legal children. He wants spiritual children. And to that end, he sends the Holy Spirit into their hearts so as to create new hearts, new wills, new minds, new desires, new interests. It's by spiritual rebirth that we become God's children, both in name and in nature. Name and nature. And so, beloved, this love of God, with all that it involves, evokes the praise, the amazement of the Apostle John. But at the same time, he realizes, too, that it's not without some difficulties and challenges. The first he mentions is that the world is ignorant of what we have become. And Why is it ignorant? Well, because it does not know our Savior. John writes, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And how true, how, how terribly sad and appalling this is. I couldn't believe it, but some time ago I was having a conversation with someone and I was talking about our Lord Jesus Christ and the person looked at me and said, Jesus? Who? I thought, I beg your pardon? Jesus? Who? It turned out, when I asked a few more questions, that this person didn't have a clue as to who Jesus is. No understanding, zero. You know, here I thought all the pagans lived in the jungles somewhere. But the sad reality is that the pagans today are living just as much next door as somewhere in the jungles of Iriniaia. So do not presume any longer today that your neighbor knows anything at all about Jesus. Except perhaps to use his name as a swear word. And you know, if they don't know him, if they don't know him, they certainly do not know about you. And that you are a Christian. John lived in what is sometimes called a pre-Christian era. Well, I think that era is back. And what that means is that our first task today is to bear witness to him. Tell the world about Jesus. Declare his name among the nations and among your neighbors. Explain how it is that you managed to get into this whole new, wonderful, amazing family. The family of God. And I know that's not going to be easy. But it's also a task at the same time with a huge incentive for look at what else John writes. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John is speaking about the future, the future of the children of God. And notice, it's a future filled with hope and expectation and surprise and and even mystery because you and I can't understand what John is fully and completely saying here. He says, what we will be has not yet been made known. That's really his way of saying the best is yet to come. It will surpass everything. And he says something, too, about the time when it will be, he says, it'll be when Jesus appears. And he says as well, what will happen when Jesus appears? We shall be like him. Can you imagine that? We're not going to only be part of his family. We're not only going to be, in a sense, his brothers and sisters. John says, we're also going to be like him. That means we too shall conquer death. We too shall become imperishable. We too shall be raised in glory. We too shall receive a new body. We too shall gain a resurrected life. And that's not all, for one more thing is added by John. We shall see him as he is. Not as he was. Not in humiliation. Not in suffering. But we shall see him as he is today in glory. In majesty. In power. We shall see the king of kings and lord of lords. We shall see the king of glory. And how's that for an incentive to bear witness to him? The reason why so often we hesitate when it comes to telling others about him is that we look far too much at ourselves and far too little at him. We all need to fill our hearts with a future. A future dominated by Jesus Christ. Fill it with what you will be, even if it's shrouded still in a lot of mystery and suspense. But even more, fill it with what you will see. You'll see Jesus. And all of that, beloved, is an incentive to tell others. But notice one more thing, one last thing. John says, this is also a springboard for something else. It's a great springboard, all of these truths for living a pure and holy life. John again writes, everyone who has this hope, purifies himself as he is pure. You know, those whose lives have been so radically altered by Jesus Christ, those who are now members of his family, those whose future is dominated by his reappearing, they will want to live as he lives. And how does he live? He lives purely. He lives a life that in every respect and in every way is pleasing to God. He lives as the Father wants him to live. Yes, and the same should be true of all of us. If your king is pure, how dare you remain impure? If your king is holy, how dare you remain profane? If your king is without spot, stain, and wrinkle, how can you be satisfied with a life that is filled with many spots and countless stains and innumerable wrinkles? His purity demands our purity. And that's what we read everywhere in the Scripture. The Apostle Paul writes, Since we have these promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And Peter writes, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort he be found spotless, blameless. And at peace with him. Be holy as he is holy. Be pure as he is pure. That's our calling. It's all of our callings. It's also Desiree's calling as she grows up and matures in the Lord. Oh, and it will not be without struggle. I remind you that as we are being called to be more and more pure, the world that we are living in has become more and more polluted. More and more. It's a struggle to live in this contaminated world. You buy a book, you start to read it, and it isn't long before you start to frown and maybe you push it aside. You turn on a sitcom on the television and you can't tolerate it after a while. It makes you winch so often. You have a movie that you rent or that you download and it makes you almost instantly feel dirty. It's really hard to be pure in an impure world. And I think John understood that. You know what's the last thing is that he says at the end of his first letter? He says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. From all the idols of impurity that are around you and even those that have managed to make an entrance into your heart. But beloved, no matter how formidable the task Put your shoulder to it. God never tells you to do something for which he doesn't give you the strength and the power. Aim for purity. Do so with your eyes fixed on God the Son, with your heart anchored in God the Father, with your strength coming from God the Spirit. Because belonging to the family of God is now your treasure and your strength. And may it prove to be Desiree's greatest treasure and strength as well. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web